0: Today we're dipping back into the brilliant parcel of civil defence material sent to me recently by a kind patron in America. A couple of weeks ago we looked at the strange post office form I found in the package. Today it's a thin yellow leaflet called Civil Defence Training for Business and Industry. Now, work can, of course, seriously damage your health. I'm not saying that to be political, it's not a lefty statement about so-called evils of the bosses and capitalism or about the need for unions it's just a simple fact your employer has a duty of care towards you they need to make sure that you're not having to work in a dangerous environment they need to give you health and safety training you need instruction manuals you need proper equipment your building shouldn't be (laughs) rammed with asbestos these rules and protections exist And they're all quite recent uh, 20th century developments, of course. We've all read horror stories of how some workers in, for example, the Victorian era were treated. Uh, Weavers getting their fingers mashed in the dark satanic mills or their lungs furred up with fibres. Chimney sweeps, mudlarks, the men who collected so-called night soil. Loads of Hideous and dangerous jobs which, thankfully, uh, in this country at least, have, uh, have vanished. Or at least have become safe. Safer. So as the, the dangerous uh, Victorian era passed and the, the early 20th century began with the massive growth of industry, terrible uh, industrial accidents became uh, more commonplace. Perhaps the most famous, uh, or infamous is the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire in New York in 1911. That killed 146 workers, mostly women and girls. But even well into the 20th century, there were still terrible accidents at work with huge losses of life. Uh, Glasgow, my own city, earned the horrible nickname of Tinderbox City as it had so many fires, with two um, particularly notorious ones happening at workplaces in the 1960s. The Cheapside Street Whiskey Warehouse Fire in 1960, which killed 19 firemen. And then the fire at James Watt Street in 1968, which killed 22 women at a factory which had bars on its window so they couldn't escape. So, these terrible incidents, uh, in Britain at least, have become rarer. And a lot of it is down to good old, uh, but very boring, <laughs> health and safety rules. The stuff we might roll our eyes at when we start a new job, oh god, the health and safety briefing this afternoon, that'll drag, but we've got to get through it, we've got to tick a box to say we've done it. But also, some of the improvements came from simple common sense, albeit common sense which needed a terrible tragedy before someone had that light bulb moment and went, hey, if we made this simple change, this would have saved so many lives. A perfect example can be found in reading about the terrible fire at the Coconut Grove nightclub, again in New York, this time in November 1942. That killed 492 people. And the investigation suggested that many, many lives could have been saved if the nightclub had simply had different doors. A lot of bodies were found piled up behind an exit at the back, piled up behind the door. The terrible thing is that the door worked perfectly. There were no problems with the door. So, why couldn't they get out? Well, the door opened inwards, but in the panic and the stampede to get out, people had crowded up against the door and so it couldn't be pulled inwards. The door worked perfectly and yet in an emergency was unusable. And so came the idea of panic bars on a door, of simply pushing it and it will always swing outward. But we're getting away from our topic here, which is industrial civil defence. So in the Western world, work has become less dangerous and employers more aware of their duty of care towards their employees. They need to do what they can to ensure your place of work is safe. They need to make sure it's safe by offering training, by practising fire drills, by making sure the emergency exits are signposted and clear by having first aiders on site. There's lots they can do these days to keep you reasonably safe at work. And yes, you know where this is going. There is one threat, of course, which they can't really protect you against, nuclear war. But as we'll see in this leaflet from America, it didn't stop a lot of them trying. Yes, we're looking at civil defence training in the workplace. And that's what our yellow leaflet here is going to tell us about. The leaflet is American. Uh, It was printed in August 1969. Civil Defence Training for Business and Industry Published by the US Department of Commerce in cooperation with the Office of Civil Defence, part of the Department of Defence. Okay then, so this thing is coming straight from the top. It's not a quaint leaflet written by some kindly or misguided small town factory owner who wanted to help his staff if an attack happened. Nope, this comes straight from the top. And it was intended to be distributed to civil defence colleges, civil defence directors and various trade and manufacturers associations and company directors who were in charge of the firm's training or security. So let's get to the important stuff. What is actually inside? It's a thin leaflet, only 15 pages, but is very wordy. It is packed with text. I suppose that's because it's not aimed at the general public, so it doesn't need to worry about being accessible and palatable with lots of easy-to-understand diagrams and pictures. No, this is a leaflet for big, important men in suits. Leave it to the big, important men, and they will read it, and then they will filter the information down to the workers. It does have pictures and drawings inside, of course, uh, and I have scanned the leaflet in its entirety... And I've added it to my Patreon page, so if you want to see it, read it, um, it it's there on my Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Atomic Hobo, and you can join us there for just £1 a month. So let's jump in. Immediately, the leaflet mentions profit. Remember, to whom this leaflet is addressed, of course, the business owners, the men in suits. It says that we will recognise the importance of training in business as, quote, it plays a vital role in protecting personnel, property and profits. Now that's quite a bold thing to open with. The honesty that training, in this case, uh, civil defence training, is not just about giving people a chance of survival, but it's also about the hardcore things like property and profits. So I wonder uh, what the communists would have made of that if they had found this leaflet during the Cold War. Daring to insert property and profits alongside people. Lumping them all together in the same sentence, how very capitalist they might have thought. Now that reminds me of some of the criticism directed at the neutron bomb when it was first discussed. Now let's not get sidetracked by the neutron bomb, but in brief, the neutron bomb is a nuclear weapon whose chief power is to emit radiation. Blast and heat are minimised. This bad boy is mainly about throwing out the radiation. But amongst the many arguments against it was the claim that it was a so-called capitalist bomb and that it would harm people but leave property and plants relatively unscathed. So well, credit to the Americans in this leaflet. They're being honest. Yes, if the country was to recover from its attack then yes, industry would need to one day get back on its feet. Property and profit would eventually matter again. Consider the word order, though. They say protecting personnel, property and profits, so at least they, <laughs> they have the decency to list people first. Because, of course, without your workers, your property is just a shell. And your profits, well, how will they be generated? So they're they're being forthright, they're being honest, and they can probably afford to be honest because they don't need to worry about any backlash from the general public or the media because they are speaking directly to a business audience who will, we can assume, appreciate that. The intro says that businesses, particularly large ones, will already have training in place for dealing with fires or industrial accidents or emergency shutdowns, And those techniques would be useful, in part, in a nuclear war. But to those training plans, we must also now add things directly related to nuclear war, mainly radiation and sheltering. And so that's the main point of this leaflet. You've trained your staff in responding to all kinds of accidents and catastrophes in the workplace. But now, here is the big whopper. Unlikely to happen, of course, but nonetheless, it is a threat and it is the biggest threat. And it brings with it one or two (laughs) unique aspects which you won't have covered when you were training your staff in basic firefighting or basic first aid. The first section is called Radioactive Fallout. And it kicks off by saying, sure, there are similarities between a nuke and a conventional bomb. You'll still be dealing with blast, destruction, debris, rubble, fire. But, and this is so important, there are also some big differences with the nuclear bomb. And I was so relieved to see that was included, because I was worried that the leaflet was going to follow the so-called conventionalisation approach, where some American civil defence materials aimed at soothing an anxious population had tried to persuade people that a nuclear bomb is no particular horror. It's not some terrible monster. It is just a bomb, after all. It's the same thing you saw during the war, only it's a bit bigger, a bit hotter, a bit scarier. But it is still just a bomb, so calm down, everyone. But no, this leaflet, not aimed at the general public, is clearly not afraid to state the obvious. The nuclear bomb will bring extra and very different challenges that you don't get with a conventional bomb. And the most obvious, and to many of us the most frightening, because it's invisible, mysterious, new, is radioactive fallout but maybe I'm being too generous. Um, Despite the leaflet's honesty in saying the nuclear bomb brings a whole load of extra horrors, it does still refer to nuclear bombs and, quote, their conventional counterparts. Now, (laughs) counterparts? I don't like that. If you're saying that nukes are special and a class of their own, an unthinkable weapon, etc., something we should never use, then they shouldn't have... Conventional counterparts. These guys, uh, the nukes and then the conventional bombs, they shouldn't be counterparts. Thesaurus.com gives us alternatives to counterparts as uh, copy, duplicate, equal, equivalent, fellow, mate. So no, the nuclear bomb has no mates, no fellows, no equals. No buddies, no pals, no sidekicks. He is unique. He is separate. He's a loner. Don't talk to him in the playground. Certainly don't accept sweets from him. The leaflet then tells us what Fallout is and what it does. I won't go over that, we all know that. The next unique aspect of the nuclear bomb is the need to shelter. And it tells us the same old story. In a nuclear attack, if we could only get to a shelter in time, millions of lives would be saved. Yes, well, yes, they would. But of course, for how long? What comes after? And is it worth surviving for? But the leaflet isn't as uh, miserable and pessimistic as me, so it doesn't go down that route. It remains chipper and upbeat. Indeed, this section is accompanied by by a drawing of people entering a fallout shelter. And because this is aimed at business folk. The people are wearing smart togs. We have a man in a suit and a trilby carrying a briefcase. He leads the way naturally. This is the 60s. And there's a woman behind him, also dressed in business wear. Although it's of course a nice uh, tightly fitting dress. And she's carrying an elegant clutch bag. Her hair is in a beehive and she has her earrings on. So there is not a hint of panic or worry or disarray. They could easily be on their way to the canteen or the car park. Behind our beehive woman is a bloke in overalls. So there this picture shows us um, American equality. There is space in this shelter for everyone. Managerial men, well-groomed secretaries and the blue-collar Joes. These then are the people who will survive to rebuild America and to ensure profits keep rolling in. If you can maintain your beehive throughout nuclear war, then nothing is beyond you. I have an episode in my podcast archive about American Fallout shelters called It's Crackers, if you want to have a listen. Speaking of the CAM people we see descending into the shelter, The leaflet tells us that businesses who have such a shelter on site may wish to appoint and train suitable employees in shelter management and also in radiation monitoring. We touched on that on shelter management in an earlier episode called Getting Frustrated in Battle Creek. Now, radiation monitoring is uh, quite self-explanatory, but wow, wow. The whole notion of shelter management is quite frightening, as it means uh, dealing with a diverse group of people who have been locked together in an enclosed space under conditions of the most extreme horror and stress. Shelter managers who are down there during and after the attack will need to be prepared to deal with panic, claustrophobia, arguments, fighting, hysteria, as well as more low-key but still potentially damaging things like boredom, insomnia, hygiene issues, organising sleeping space, irritability, the spread of worrying rumours. The leaflet then moves on to company training. It says you need to train your staff for nuclear war now. No point in waiting till the siren starts. So get your nominated shelter managers and those who will be asked to try and tackle fires in the workplace, get them trained now. This might be risky advice if it was being delivered to the general public. Get trained up right now. Because people might think, well, why? Why now is something happening? Do the authorities know something we don't? There would be a risk of stirring up panic or of alerting your enemy that something might be afoot. Indeed, that was one of the reasons why the British government didn't deliver Protect and Survive to every household in the early 1980s. Some people accused the government of withholding it, keeping it secret, keeping the public in ignorance. But the reason it wasn't delivered en masse to every household was far more plodding and sensible than that. The first reason was that if it suddenly landed on your doormat you would get a nasty shock and start wondering, well, what's brewing? And two if and when the moment did arrive when you had to start building your fallout room then the advice inside it might have gone a bit stale you might have read it long ago when it did arrive and then tossed it in the kitchen drawer where it would soon be lost amongst all the Takeaway menus and old bank statements. It would have lost its impact. Or indeed, it might be literally lost. So that's why it could be risky to ask the general public to undergo active training right now. But remember, of course, this leaflet is not aimed at the general public. It's aimed at businesses, company directors and civil defence trainers. It's reaching a tiny minority... can then carefully disperse the information down through the company structure to selected people with no worry about panic or kitchen drawers so what types of training should you be delivering to your employees the main areas are communications medical self-help firefighting security radiological monitoring, rescue and maintenance, and shelter management. And then you need to look at how you deliver that training. Well, the Leaflet directs you to look for free courses that will be available from either the federal or state government. You can also seek out courses provided by your local civil defence organisations. You should also be developing things like workplace drills and exercises. So don't just learn it all from a book or a lecture, get active, roll up your sleeves. The remainder of the leaflet then outlines it specifically what civil defense training courses are out there, available to you and sponsored by the federal government. These are all tuition free, so costs will not be any impediment. Again, here they are nudging and pushing at you, go ahead, come on, step forth, get it done. The first course outlined is Industrial Civil Defence Management. It's a five-day course for the senior people in the business, aimed at industrial relations directors, personnel managers, and civil defence officers. So it's not for the general workforce. I suppose you couldn't afford to send your general workforce off on a five-day course anyway. So you send a few And the hope is that they will then cascade the info down through the organisation. So the Industrial Civil Defence Management course, uh, the five-day course, the following topics will be discussed in it. And it sounds like a complete barrel of laughs. You will discuss the current world situation, the effects of nuclear weapons, the National Civil Defence Programme, records protection and fiscal planning, You'll look at an example of a workplace civil defence plan. You will learn how the national warning system works. You will learn of military support of civil defence. You will learn about radiological defence, shelters and the engineering aspect of shelters. You will also learn, quote, preserving the corporate structure. Now this made me chuckle, after the bomb we must still wear our name tags and... Remember to call the boss, sir. And finally, we will learn (laughs) getting back into business after attack. You can also send your staff, or some of them, to a one-day seminar on industrial civil defence. These will be held at universities, and from the description, they sound more like a chance to hobnob and network with other important executives, with maybe a bit of civil defence chat thrown in. You will meet and mingle and discuss your respective civil defence work. You could also attend a 16-hour course on medical self-help. Now, we know that this would be a very big deal after the bomb, when you can't just ring 999 or drop by the hospital or local doctor surgery. You will largely be left to sort it out yourself. So this course will try and give you some skills to do that. The leaflet says uh, a time may come when you and your family will have to face serious medical and health problems for days or even weeks without a doctor to assist you. Such an emergency might arise as a result of an attack on the United States, but it could happen in case of an accident or natural disaster. Okay, that, um, that annoyed me. It's true, of course, totally correct. Um, You could be left without medical care because of a natural disaster. Look at Hurricane Katrina, or even the recent terrible weather in Buffalo. We saw plenty on the news of people stranded, no one able to reach them. So yes, that is true. This horrible situation might arise from an accident or a natural disaster. But I don't like the fact that they've included that here, directly alongside the nuclear threats. It seems like another example of so-called conventionalisation. That is, placing the nuclear bomb alongside other things. Conventional bombs, hurricanes, blizzards, nukes, they're all the same, really. All deserve to be mentioned in the same breath. Well, no, I don't accept that, so look out for sneaky attempts at conventionalisation. Nuclear weapons are not normal, they are not natural don't ever shrug and accept that they live here now Uh, let me just add i i believe we can't get rid of them i believe we are indeed stuck with them i believe there's no point going on a march and shouting ban the bomb but that doesn't mean we should just shrug and accept them and put the kettle on for them they should always stand apart as something unique and hideous At the end of the big list of courses, the booklet has a section, What are some companies doing? And it offers examples of civil defence training out there, undertaken by real companies. It doesn't name the companies though, so these could be made up quotes, I suppose. One company uh, said that they have trained their maintenance and security staff in firefighting, first aid, radiation monitoring, and emergency shutdown procedures. So that seems uh, quite targeted and practical. There's no big woolly declaration of saving and sheltering everyone. Instead, they have zoomed in on the maintenance guys and given them specific practical skills. Another company, a leading SEAL corporation, it says, have told us that a large percentage of their employees are trained in first aid and firefighting and that this is supplemented by drills several times a year. Quote, in our larger plants with up to 15,000 employees, this is done on a departmental basis. Our employees have been trained so that it's not unusual to have all operations cease and 800 to 1,000 employees in their assigned shelters within four minutes after the sirens have sounded. So again, I like the, the focus there. They're focusing on everyone down tools and get into that shelter. You have fire drills, where again, of course, we all know this. You need to calmly uh, get out of the building. And we all know the rules for that. You don't stop to pick up your jacket or your bag. You just calmly head for the emergency exit. These guys at the steel plant are doing the same thing, but with a drill to get you into the shelter. So again, stop what you're doing and calmly get downstairs into the fallout shelter and make sure you are there within four minutes. So again, targeted and specific. I like that. Um, I think with a lot of civil defence, again, I'm thinking of Britain where a lot of it would be hopeless, but a lot of it um, seems too optimistic and too all-encompassing. And so therefore you might think, well, they can't possibly deliver all this. They can't save all these people. So I like the fact that these instructions here in industrial civil defence are specific and targeted at particular people and particular tasks. We're not promising to save the world. We're not promising to save you or your family or your community. But we can say that we are very well practiced at getting everyone into the shelter within four minutes. And your employer is not a medical worker. They can't really promise you much more than that, can they? So that is the end of our quick look at civil defence training for business and industry. As I say, I have scanned and uploaded the leaflet to my Patreon page, so if you are a patron of this podcast, it is there for you. And if you want to join us on Patreon, please take a look at patreon.com forward slash Atomic Hobo. And to update you on what's happening with the book, we are, of course, uh, getting nearer and nearer to publication date. I want to thank everyone again who has pre-ordered the book. You've um, pushed me up the Amazon charts and um, again earned me a bestseller tag. There were a couple of days during the week where I had the nice orangey-red bestseller tag on Amazon. So thank you, a sincere thank you to everyone who has pre-ordered. And of course, if you have yet to do that and want to get a pre-order in, it's available on Amazon or indeed any of the book websites. Uh, It's called Attack Warning Red. How Britain Prepared for Nuclear War, and it's by me, Julie McDowell. Most of the hard work is done now on the book, of course. is out in April, not long. So now it's mainly just uh, tidying up and bits of admin. For example, this week I have been sorting out uh, picture credits, uh, photographs for the book, and I also, uh, with the publisher's permission, sent a PDF of the book to three um, podcast patrons who are very knowledgeable on civil defence and they have kindly offered to read through it for me and see if there are any big howling mistakes. And last night, um, one of my kind patrons, Sean Judge, pointed out a small mistake, but mistake nonetheless. I had referred to the carrier control point as a red device. And Sean um, said to me last night, well, you know, it's not red. And he's quite right. Uh, the, the main colour of the thing is red, but the device itself is just a steel box, so it's, it's grey I suppose a steel grey box with um, three handsets on it two of which are big chunky red handsets so I had called it a red chunky red device and it's not red the handsets are red but the device itself isn't red so Sean picked that up for me, small detail but nonetheless a detail which does need to be corrected so this morning I was up at 5.20am emailing my editor to say could we please cut red out It's not a chunky red device, it's a chunky device. So if you do uh, read my book in April and you come across the carrier control point described as a chunky device, we can thank Sean that it's not mistakenly called a chunky red device. So I do owe thanks to um, so many of you out there, um, people who support me either through Patreon or of course people like my community of atomic hobos as I call them who have been talking to me about the book on our Discord chat server, who've been offering feedback and advice and encouragement. So grateful to all of you, I really am. So remember, you can find me on Twitter at Julie A. McDowell or on Facebook as Nuclear Britain. And the book is now available to pre-order, Attack Warning Red, How Britain Prepared for Nuclear War. And I'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you for listening.